Today on Ag News Daily. But what we have to do is we have to solve uh, the short supply problem everywhere in food and fuel. We're, right now, we're not. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, it's going to take time, and and no amount of interest rate hikes is going to create more corn, wheat, soybeans. Monday, September nineteenth, Ag News Daily Edition, brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Tanner Winterhawk joined with Cassidy Zirkle today on her Monday Ag News Daily Edition. How's Cassidy doing? I'm great, Tanner. Had a great weekend, got rested up, and ready to present some news to our listeners again this week. Are you a football fan? Is there a football team that you follow? Um, I'm actually a baseball fan. I spent my weekend watching baseball and going to a Cardinals game. Oh, that would have been a nice event. Did you stay dry? Because I know there's a little bit of rain headed through that direction. Actually, no, it was dry the whole day through the doubleheader, but what happened with Iowa State Cyclones? We're winners again, obviously one of the preseason games. I'm going to call that both teams in the state of Iowa won. The Hawkeyes finished their game at like 1.40 in the morning. I did not stay up to watch the Hawkeyes play, but they had lightning in the area that kept delaying their game. But uh, yeah, certainly good to see Iowa teams winning and for you listeners outside of the state, hopefully your teams did well. And I know we're thinking of you, Nebraska fans, uh, you poor, <laughs> poor people. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Nebraska. My school won too this weekend, not by much, but finally got our first win of the season. So That's good. Well, I hope there is better luck on the forefront for poultry farmers and those involved in the poultry industry. Scientists have confirmed a backyard flock of poultry in northwestern Tennessee was infected with the avian influenza. This is part of the resurgence of the disease here in the central United States. We reported last week there's been now more than 26 outbreaks this month. And the largest, again, is still the 3 million hen farm in Ohio. Bird flu was reported on seven turkey farms in Minnesota. But nationwide, we are seeing Nearly 3.37 million birds in domestic flocks having died so far this month. That adds to the total of 44.12 million birds uh, died or culled in 2022. Not great news, Tanner, but I will say that we'll have some experts on poultry on the show next week. So hopefully get a boots on the ground perspective of their fight against avian influenza. Another disease that is being fought throughout the world right now is foot and mouth. In Botswana, they're set to cull more than 10,000 cattle to fight this disease outbreak. With Botswana being one of the biggest exporters of beef to the EU, this is going to have a huge impact on the beef industry. That's not good. We started off with two bad pieces of news, so let's pause here real quick. To remind our listeners that more for more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yield by the help of SB1 Classic. As fertilizer costs are soaring, supply, challenge, supply chain challenges are looming, DPH Biologics is expanding access to their trusted biofertilizer to all of the conventional acres. With TerraTrove SB1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. There's some people in Alaska, Cassidy, that are struggling this time of year after the typhoon, Merbach, 
fueled unusually warm Pacific temperatures and pounded Alaska's coastal communities. So unfortunately, after the September 17th push, many homes are off their foundations, tearing apart protective firms, also flooding communities. But the bad part about this, Cassidy, is a lot of the natives in Alaska are using this time of year to stock up on food and supplies and harvest the growth and productions of their summer season so that they can prepare for long winter times. Waves hit more than 50 feet tall over the Bering Sea, and the storm surge sent water into communities at record high levels, accompanied by hurricane force winds are wreaking havoc and cause devastation up there. They're typically, like I said, stocking up on food this time of year. And the other issue is now some of the rail and road systems, which are few in that portion of the United States, are ruined, which uh, is going to make it difficult to get supplies back in for rebuilding. Uh, It looks like there could be significant delays in getting lumber and food supplies back up into the Alaskan region. But down here in the lower 48, we've got extremely dry weather on the forecast for Wyoming and South Dakota. That will give a red flag warning for those areas. Sustained winds of 15 miles an hour, gusts up to 25. Relative humidity will be as low as 11%. When you combine those two factors together, it will be a critical fire risk. So we'll take a look at what happens in those areas, and hopefully we don't report on any new fires. Yeah, Tanner, it seems like we've just got a case of the Monday blues with all this bad news. And I'm going to continue on that streak, talking about a little bit more of hot weather and the effects of it. A viral video was surfacing throughout the internet a few weeks ago of a New York City carriage horse collapsing on the streets from heat exhaustion. That horse has now been retired to the farm because it was quite old. And the incident has had the industry proposing more regulations and more help for them in the city of New York. They want a stable in Central Park and they want more water troughs and help for their horses. So this is another one of those union fights that we will have to keep a close eye on to see if the carriage horse workers get what they are proposing. Interesting. It was not a headline that I had come across. And always instances as such there that are in the national spotlight set up precedences for other areas of agriculture. So we will keep an eye on that. The last piece of negative news I have for the fifth straight month, the rural economy has posted signs of trouble. That's according to the Rural Main Street Index from Creighton University. For the week ending September 22nd, the RMI, again, Rural Main Street Index, sits at 46.3. While it's up from 44 in the month of August, it's still the fifth month below neutral. Cassidy neutral is 50. The index ranges between 0 and 100. 50 represents growth neutral. And this is generated by monthly survey results from a bank of CEOs in rural areas in a 10-state region, dependent upon ag or energy for their income. So the rural Main Street economy is now experiencing a downturn, says Ernie Goss, the chair of Creighton's Hyder College of Business. says supply chain disruptions, inflationary pressures from higher input costs continue to sustain and constrain growth. Farmers and bankers are bracing for escalated interest rates and higher farm input, input costs. But 
when you look at the farmland market, the index states here that the farmland price index for September climbed to 61.1. That's up from August's 60.0, marking the 24th straight month. The index has moved above growth neutral. So a long standing line there. And when you look at the long term history here, the growth for farm equipment sales soared up to 58 for September, up from 45.9 in August, marking August the only month out of the last 22 months that haven't been above neutral. To summarize, Cassidy, economy growth is down, but farm equipment and land is still above growth neutral. So not a good instance there if we fear we're going to receive less for our commodities economically wise while the cost of land and equipment are both above neutral. Yeah, Tanner, closing out with some pretty horrible news from both of us this morning. And unfortunately, I don't have a positive spin to give our listeners like usual, but hopefully the markets don't look too bad. What can you say about those? Well, it's interesting to see what direction they're headed because I did get the shipping container rates update. And it looks like if you are trying to land goods from the, let's see here, from the China coast to the US, when you look at China to the West Coast, as of January compared to today, today is down 63%. And if you are going to head to the East Coast, it's down 42%. So containers used to cost $14,000 per container to ship. Now it's just over 5000 to the West Coast and the East Coast is down from 16,000 to 9,200. So interesting to see what kind of play that has. It actually sent our wheat contracts into the negative by a substantial amount. December 22 wheat uh, is now down 28 cents on the day, closing at 831 and eighth. And corn and soybeans, both green. Soybeans are up 12 cents on the day. November contract, 1460 and a half. December corn contract is at 678, up just a penny. So a little bit of green in the grains, but it looks like that shipping news took its biggest toll on the wheat side of things. When we get to livestock, live cattle is green across the boards. Uh, October and December, both up a quarter. October at 145 and three quarters, December's at 150.90. Feeder cattle in the green as well, three quarters of a dollar up, 179.95 for September, October's contract, trading at 182 and a third. Lean hogs also green. So look at that, Cassidy. We've got green in the cattle, green corn and soybeans, and red on the wheat side of things. December lean hogs up 17 cents to 88.15. So that's what we have. But before we jump into our conversation today, just a reminder that for three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yield with the help of SB1 Classic. As fertilizer costs are climbing, supply chain challenges looming, DPH Biologics is expanding across its access to trusted biofertilizers. So now you conventional acre farmers can use TerraTrove SB1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer Growers can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. Let's jump into our Market Monday conversation. (music) 
Like we said, Market Monday conversation. Proud to introduce Darren Newsom, president of Darren Newsom Analysis, here to join us. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on again, Tanner. Looking forward to it. Yeah, let's see if we can't jump into some uh, exciting market moves today. When we reported on how the markets had closed today, it seemed like everything had a favorable move up. Not a lot of, of move except for the wheat market. So let's start talking about wheat. What uh, what were the negative impacts as to why wheat closed down today? Uh, because it's wheat and it likes to be kind of contrary. Um, you know, there really there's there's not a lot of bearishness about the wheat market right now. Uh, it just, you know, we saw we saw a rally to close out last week, and so you know, based on that and that alone. You know, maybe there just wasn't anybody interested in buying coming out of the weekend. We did have the dollar higher and, you know, there's the usual, uh, you know, chorus of voices saying, well, you know, if, if the dollar closes higher, then wheat has to close lower. That's not true. Uh, but there is, there is a loose relationship between those two. And, you know, we're being such a global market. You know, a lot of folks, you know, countries or buyers do look, uh, they do look at currencies and, and value of the commodity, uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to export sales and, and so on. But it's not, it's not as hard and fast. It's not as black and white as, as everyone makes it out to seem. The biggest thing to me is that wheat does have a lot of bullish fundamentals. We've got a very bullish supply and demand situation, hard red winter. Uh, we've got an increasingly bullish supply and demand situation. In hard red spring, uh, with that harvest coming to a close, you know, the real laggard has been Chicago, but even there, we've seen some commercial buying coming in of late. It just wasn't there Monday. Uh, tomorrow, I mean, Tuesday, could, could we see the buyers step back in? Certainly. That's always a possibility. Uh, there right. just, there just really wasn't any interest at all today. Yeah. That, uh, I kind of wondered if that was going to be part of your answer. If we switch now over to the corn crop, I was just, mm-hmm taking a peek at the December contract and looks like it's still in an upward trend, but we saw a little bit of correcting itself last week. How do you feel about corn and what, what we're seeing going forward? Yeah. You know, corn again has a bullish fundamental picture. Uh, you know, we look at future spreads, we look at basis, you know, it's all telling us that it's an interesting combination. We've had basis weakening, but it's still bullish, but still stronger than it has been in the past. So we know production isn't there, but there is harvest going on. And some of those bushels are being sold because cash is continuing to hold around the $7 mark. Yeah, the, you know, if we look at the Dece July corn spread, uh, this year to last year, I mean, it's actually more this year, meaning commercial side for months now has known that the production for 2012 just not going to be enough to rebuild supplies. Uh, and the demand for the first half of the market year is going to be strong. So we, we've got a longer-term bullish situation in corn. We've got a short-term bullish situation in corn uh, with uh, basis is telling us. So we still have a seasonal uptrend going in the December market. It's going to pop around. What's been interesting is We've had one week up, one week down now for the last, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Uh, and, you know, it has its seasonal projection up there on my part for a, a high weekly close the second week of October. So we're still on path to reach that. Yeah, and that's the interesting part when you, we reported, you know, last week on the WASD report that came out. <laughs> and, you know, the the sentiment now across headlines is usually small crops only get smaller. I feel like that's probably going to have more impact on the soybean market than any of the others. Would you agree or am I thinking differently? 
No, I mean, but here's the thing, and I know I know everyone likes to look back at the, you know, as uh, at the at the September Wazdi as as the turning point. But we've known for a year uh, that the commercial side didn't think this year's crop was going to be enough, and they have gotten smaller over time. I mean, we can go back to you know to where these spreads were in planting season and so on, and you know they've been bullish and, they, and they're going to stay bullish for as long as we can, you know, so as far as we can project. So, yeah, you know, the idea that the crop is going to continue to get smaller with that was the type of weather we had but more importantly as we start to turn our attention particularly at soybeans uh to south america you know we're hearing uh, of weather of adverse weather hot and dry in argentina possibly cutting some of its crops and so if it's happening in argentina they're going to be talking about it in brazil and the world's largest buyer needs soybeans and if brazil is going to have a third consecutive year of reduced crops uh, you know, they're going to have to stay, they're going to have to stay, they're going to have to continue to buy from the United States. And we saw a little bit of it on, uh, on Monday morning. And I think we're just going to see little bits and pieces of that until we, until we have a better picture for what's going on in South America. Yeah. We had also reported on that and, and had a short discussion. It'll be interesting to see how quickly that news makes it to us here. And of course, we've had the news surrounding around the rail strike, but mm-hmm. some headlines came out this morning that maybe livestock producers are going to see more of a brunt front of that if something does come about. Hopefully we can avoid those, but what are you seeing in the livestock markets? Yeah, the livestock market's still an interesting mix. Um, you know, live cattle are, are staying, are, are holding up there for really no reason whatsoever. We have weak basis. We have bearish spreads. We've got, you know, the, the beef cutout market that's been coming down, uh, kind of an economic indicator that things are slowing down a little bit, demand slowing down. We still have large supplies, but yet we can't break the futures market. So, you know, it kind of comes under Newsom's rule number 4A, a market that can't come down won't go down. And that's certainly, seen, you know, there's no explanation for it. And I know some folks will probably make one up, but there's no explanation for it at this point. And we'll just have to see how long it lasts. Uh, you know, as long as, you know, if non-commercial traders want to continue to provide support, continue to buy at a time when, when future spreads and basis are bearish, you know, that, that creates a, that creates a rubber band disposition. That's going to break at some point and usually snap back to its fundamentals. And if fundamentals are bearish, that means the market still has some downside risk. Yeah. Cause wouldn't you say this is unseasonably firm? Yeah, it is. You know, this is a time of year when we should see the we should be seeing the cattle market start to break again. You know, we've gone past the the grilling season. We've gone past Labor Day. Uh, you know, now we're starting to turn our attention to the to the end of the year holidays filled with turkey and poultry and that sort of thing. Plus, you know, inflation's still there. We know it's still there, and, and the inflation readings. Uh, and boxed beef, like I said, is starting to come down. Slow, indicating there's a there's a slowdown in demand right now. So, uh, and we we've just for for months, if not more than a year now, you know, the spreads have been bearish telling us, you know, that we've got plenty of supply uh, and plenty of number of cattle, uh, you know, to work through. And that number hasn't gone down. So, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of fundamental sense at this point. And, and I'm always, I always get a bit nervous about those markets because they will break. They, uh, you know, we will see non-commercials throw in the towel or fundamentals are going to have to change. One of those things, things is going to have to occur. Right. I would agree. And the other thing that I have been watching as a banker is what the Fed meeting is going to come about mm-hmm. this week. All anticipation points to another three quarter point hike on mm-hmm. interest rates to curb inflation like you discussed. When we're talking commodities, is that going to trigger anything Thursday, Friday this week? Or is it pretty much already built into what the market's anticipating? 
you know, logically, we would say that it's already built in. I mean, we've seen the dollar uh, go well past 110, you know, but, but the real issue here is that this is, you know, the problem with economists is that they, there's a one size fits all solution to, to inflation. That is to raise interest rates. Well, this isn't a normal interest rate. Jimmy, this isn't a normal inflationary uh, uh, phase. What we're seeing here is, you know, supplies of grains around the world. So food around the world has been reduced by mother nature, by, by adverse weather. And we've got energy prices uh, that have gone up because of an in, of, because of an invasion uh, of Russia's invasion of Ukraine that completely disrupted supply and demand. So it's not your normal it's not your normal uh, inflationary cycle. So just hitting it with you know interest rate hike after interest rate hike after interest rate hike it really isn't going to solve anything. What we have to do, yeah, it might slow demand a little bit, but what we have to do is we have to solve uh, the short supply problem everywhere in food and fuel. We're, right now, we're not. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, it's going to take time, and and no amount of interest rate hikes is going to create more corn, wheat, soybeans. It's not going to uh, automatically readjust the supply demand tables of energies until you know Putin either gives up, is dr- driven out of Ukraine, or whatever happens. Um, you know, so until those things can change. You know, these interest rate hikes are nice and it's going to cause some market ruffles, uh, you know, in the financial industry. Uh, but as far as the commodities go, it just doesn't change the fundamental picture. There you go. That's some great news for our listeners today. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Is there any last piece you'd like to contribute before we get contact information for you and sign off? You know, it just, it, it, we're kind of in that quiet period here. You know, we've got harvest going on. And I think, you know, what we really have to do is don't, let's don't lose, uh, you know, we have to really focus on, you know, we've got corn coming in, we've got soybeans coming in. Which ones are the better to hold? Which ones are the better to sell? We have to pay attention to basis and we have to pay attention to spreads because the market will tell us, you know, what to hold and, and what to sell. Uh, you know, and then as long as we can do that, uh, you know, over these next, uh, over these coming months, we should be fine. Oh, that's good to hear. And remind our listeners how they can find you if they want to reach out and ask some questions of their own. Easiest way to find me is go to DarrenNewsom.com on the menu there. Uh, you can click on that for services and sign up for a seven-day free trial, see what we talk about, see how we analyze and comment on things, and, and then we can go from there. Perfect. Well, as always, we appreciate you joining on. We couldn't do it without you. And everybody have a great Monday. All right. Thank you, Tanner. Well, it's always good to get the explanation behind why the markets are trading the way they are. There's always things to watch. It never surprises me, Cassidy. Each Monday, we come across something new to add to the list to pay attention to. Yeah, Tanner, always love learning on these Market Mondays and getting an expert's perspective. Listeners, as we go into this week, please be sure to follow us on social media, like and subscribe our show, and leave a review anywhere you're listening. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me today, Cassidy. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.